Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Brian J. Henderson. And I'm your co-host, Gregory Turner. Mr. Turner, how are you today? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. We got a good show tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. Awesome you know, show. our show's topic, which Greg will tell us about a little bit later and also introduce our guest. Yes. You know, it's very, very controversial. You know, when we initially did this show a couple of months ago, we we actually talked about this same subject, and we just had to bring this person back because we got such a huge response from people on both sides of the equation, you know, the pros and the cons. And so we thought it was necessary to keep bringing information like this to the table because it's important that we dialogue, that we get both sides, and then, you know, help us to come to a conclusion or a resolution for the issue. Yes. I'll tell you, you know, what. It's, it's something, Brian, that it's hard to talk about. Like you said, it's a controversial issue. Yes. It's something that you can't talk about in the schools can't talk about it. Well, they won't talk about it in the churches. Mm-hmm. And it's something that you can't bring up at the dinner table. Oh, absolutely home. not. <laughs> you know, I tell you what, the hardest thing that that I've ever come across when, you know, talking about this particular subject is talking about it and being one way with it and right. somebody else being a different way. Yeah. <laughs> and whoa, watch yeah. out because I know, you know, from personal experience, when you have somebody who's just just a gung-ho for it or gung-ho against it, and you're kind of, you know, wishy-washy on the subject where it doesn't really mean a whole lot to you, ooh-wee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Brian, people have lost their lives behind this. Oh, yes, yes, the innocent, yes. The innocent and the guilty goes both ways. We've seen on television, Brian, where there have been bombs, people's cars set on fire, mm-hmm. doctors, just sad situation. But right. I think the best way to deal with it is to talk about it. Oh, yeah, to talk about it. And a lot of it, you know, when you have your beliefs and someone else is trying to force their belief on you, that's not a good thing because everybody's not going to believe the same thing. Right. And we live in a country where your body is your body. You get to do whatever you want to do with it. But now when it's talking about two people involved now, mm-hmm. that's where it's starting to get ugly. Right. It's getting really ugly. You know, and but, tonight I, I, our goal also is to focus and to talk about the – emotional standpoint behind this particular issue. Yes. You know, because that's one of the things that people fail to talk about. They don't want to talk about the emotional. They they rather talk about their personal belief around the issue rather than talk about the emotional standpoint of the people involved in the issue. And I, I think that. that's where we really start to get to the point of healing when we can start talking and conversing about the real deal that's at stake. You know, versus the superficial, you know, I want it to happen this way, I want it to happen that way. 
because. Well, yeah. Greg, go ahead and uh, and introduce our guest tonight, and then I guess you can, well, you can give the topic and then introduce our guest. Yes, I will. We, Brian, before I introduce her, I want to say that she's going to bring a side of this topic in. She's going to talk about a side in this that no one is really talking about. She mentioned it to me yesterday on the phone, and I didn't even think about it. I had no clue. But a lot of people would, you know, as people were so judgmental on the outside, when we don't know the full story of why things happen or why a person is acting a certain way, we don't know the full story. Mm-hmm. So we need to be careful when we're looking on the outside and making uh, accusations and saying certain things to about people or to people that's just tearing their heart out when we don't know the real the real situation and the real issues that's going on. There's a lot of things that's going on behind the, behind the scenes that we don't know anything about, so we really need to be careful. And tonight we have on with us um, a powerful woman, a woman that's come on with us before. Everybody's asking her to come back on, and we are definitely, definitely going to have a good show tonight. Tonight's topic, Brian, should I say it? Go ahead and say Should it. Should I say the topic for tonight? You want me to say it? <laughs> yeah, you can say it. Well, no, I'll say it. <laughs> Abortion. A life and death situation. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome best-selling author Cheryl Williams. Cheryl, are you there? I am. Hello, gentlemen. Nice to be back with you again. Yes, we missed you. Yeah, we're so glad to have you back. Cheryl, I wanted to start out and say that I thank you so much for coming on and sharing a part of your life with us. And I really believe that this is a time that someone is going to hear this show. And it's going to explain a lot of things to them. And I think healing will start for some people that that have experienced the thing that gone through. Yes. With that, I want to ask you a question. Sure. When you were little, when you were a little girl in your childhood, you know, you told us, I read your book. Mm-hmm. I read your book. And in your book, it says that you had an abortion. That's correct. But people on the outside that probably knew of your situation, they didn't really know in depth of why and how this thing happened or why you did what you did. They pretty much just judged you from what they saw. Am I correct? That's correct. That's correct. So for a little, go ahead, I'm sorry. It's a difficult subject. Um, As you guys mentioned earlier, there's so many people, so many pros, so many cons, and then there are people who are on the fence. When I was a young woman, I suffered, and I still do, suffer from an illness called bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is a chemical imbalance. And it is very much a disease, uh, even though it's categorized as a mental disease. It is very much a disease like unto um, diabetes, for example, where you have a chemical imbalance in the blood system, in your homostasis that has to be balanced out by more insulin or more sugar or something that helps you to produce sugar. That's diabetes. Bipolar disorder is a chemical imbalance, and it's treated 
with a medicine called lithium most commonly. Other medicines have been used to treat it, um, but most commonly it's treated with a, with a salt, a salt that literally comes from the earth called lithium. I was a young girl suffering. I was withdrawn. I was isolated by my parents because they knew me to be a very bright young young girl. I, um, in fact, my uh, this is not braggadocious. This is just saying um, my IQ is is in genius level. And as a little girl, I spent a lot of time isolated by myself. Um, when I did go to school, I didn't have any friends. Um, and then the illness itself, one of the symptoms or of the illness is promiscuity. And so um, I became involved sexually quite at too young of an age. And I'm not blaming myself. I'm saying that the illness was the cause of the behavior. And a lot of young women are going through, the young children and young women are going through the exact same behavior, and their parents are wondering why they're misbehaving or why um, they turn to drugs. Some of them turn to drugs to mask it. Some of them turn to alcohol to mask it. Some of them, like I mentioned, promiscuity. Um, and so because of this behavior is why I got pregnant at such a young age. Um, wasn't that I had bad parents, had great parents. My parents stayed together until my father died. Father died. Um, but this was the onset of the beginning of the book, some reasons why kids gone by, why I behaved in the manner that I did, and how I got to the point where I wound up pregnant. Though a Christian and faithful to the church, and faithful to tithing and faithful to communion and in church on Bible studies and Sunday schools and had been baptized and saved and sanctified with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but at the same time, these things occurred, which is why um, the onset of some reasons why Kids Gone By got started and um, how I, start, I started that got involved in that kind of cycle of life. So mm -hmm. Now you say that there are a lot of people out there that suffer from this and that it could be the reason that you have so many abortions, especially with younger children, with you know, with our younger youth generation. You know, they're just not sure well first of all, their their minds aren't at a level where they can make truly conscious decisions. That's exactly. been proven exactly. scientifically. You know, and so they're having to make these decisions, and then many of them may suffer from this undiagnosed bipolarism. And so because of that, people just say, oh, they're just being kids, or they won't listen, or they won't behave. You know, and I know this, this show is about abortion, but I want to ask a question about bipolarism. Mm -hmm. You know, we see it so much now and you know actually this was the first time that I've heard them talk about being it being treated with lithium mm -hmm. 
you know, and most of the time they were they were treating this with uh what what was it? Um not Thorazine. What's that stuff called? Was it Thorazine? Is it Prozac you're talking about? Prozac. That's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. You know, and when and they were just saying instead of bipolarism, they were treating the kids for being overly hyper. You know, because I know when I was young, they just said, oh, he was real hyper, and I was. You know, but my parents were like, oh, you're not giving him anything. He's fine. He's just a hyper little boy. You know, he's got a lot of energy. You know, but nowadays, when they treat kids or when they see someone that's hyper, they want to give them something so they won't be so hyper. You know? Yeah. And so do you think that, you know, and I know... um, in the African-American community, a lot of times the kids will go undiagnosed because maybe the parents don't have the available funds to have to, to treat that particular type of, you know, disorder and so forth. And do you think that was a factor in your case, you know, that your parents just never thought, well, not necessarily that they couldn't afford it, but also that they, they never think about that being an option because they say, oh, he's just hyper. Oh, they just bad. You, you know? know? Yeah, you know, I think that is exactly the truth. My parents, uh, it wasn't an issue of affordability. It was more an issue of, my, now my mom was 41 years old when she had me, and I have two younger siblings. Mm-hmm. That's a bit unusual. So they came from a different time frame. You know, my mom didn't even tell me about sexual intercourse. She got two older cousins to tell me about um, ministration cycle, you know, cycles and um, the different, um, you know, relationships and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. They thought that um, raising children was cut and dry. You do what I tell you to do. And I'm not saying they were abusive. I'm just saying they, you do what I tell you to do. They were good people, but when my father looked at you, and you know, you hear people say this in the old school all the time. When my father looked at me, I knew not to do. You know what I mean? Right, right. And so they never really had to deal with those types of issues. Right. Before, prior to, uh, most recently, I'd say just within the last forty or so years, prior to that, people looked at illnesses, these types of illnesses, as something where. People needed to be locked up in a ward, given shock treatments, given lobotomies, mm-hmm. and these were the mainstream treatments of mental illnesses. Right. Lo and behold, someone came along, and I don't recall the doctor's name, but he was from Europe, and said that bipolar disorder, among others, should be treated as a chemical imbalance, as a physiological problem. Now, they had no idea what was going on in my mind because, and it wasn't that I was, like I said, I I wasn't a bad child. I wasn't an evil child. I was a child who who was very bright, who had few friends because I was eccentric. And when I say eccentric, I don't mean weird, like you see the kids today wearing black and that type of thing. I just mean that my father took us to the library every once a week, and every once a week, we would get we were allowed to get ten books out of the library. Every week I read ten books and I did that for a number of years while my father was alive when I was a child. 
you know, that was almost unheard of. So my parents knew that there was something different about me, but they didn't understand what was going on inside my head emotionally because I was even unable to explain it myself until one day I actually read it and read about um, bipolar disorder in a psychology book. And I thought, you know, this, you know, I thought this behavior sounds like something, you know, that, that um, is happening to me, but I was frightened because nobody knew. And my point is, at that particular time, and even still today, unfortunately, people are not aware of mental disorders. They think that a mental disorder means you have to go off and be locked off in a room somewhere, or you got to lock Uncle Mark up in the attic and make sure you throw away the key and feed him under the door. And, you know, all this nonsense came about with different movies, like Psycho or whatever. But the problem was that they just were not aware. It wasn't that they, and when they became aware, at the age of, it wasn't until the age of 19 that I was actually diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Some people will know it as manic depression. Many people, um, Hendrix, for example, the, the great guitar player, wrote a song called Manic Depression, and many people believe that he was a manic depressive. There are many people who suffer from manic depressives, for example, Abraham Lincoln suffered from depression. And uh, many artists throughout the years, and some even today, my understanding is that um, Diane Curl and um, others have told me, that told uh, I've heard about in books, who have said that they are um, have suffered with the same types of illnesses. Patty Duke Aston from the Patty Duke Show. And so at that time, it wasn't as prevalent and it wasn't as people weren't aware of what was going on. Today, it's a little bit more, people have a little bit more knowledge about it. But the problem is a physiological problem. It's a chemical imbalance, just like any other chemical imbalance in the body, whether it be high blood pressure, diabetes. And it causes certain reactions in the brain when your body is, and your brain is without this natural substance to help it function properly. And so one of those symptoms is promiscuity. And so, and when I say promiscuity, it wasn't like I was totally wild. It was just an overactive libido. And it started so young that my, par my, my parents were very, my father was open-minded. And he would sit down and talk to us. He would, was the one who would sit down and talk to us and say, well, this is, you know, this is how life is and, you know, make sure you protect yourself and that type of a thing. But he, little did he know that by the time we had that talk at the age of 17, I had already been active. And so um, I told him, well, he found out, in fact, when I became impregnated. So I said all that to say that if you have a child or if you yourself are experiencing some kind of symptoms, strange behavior, a lot of people are mastered. The reason that a lot of young people, I think, now are taking drugs is because we do have chemical imbalances and that a lot of people are masking them with alcohol. Mm -hmm. Work, uh, some are workaholics. 
some are sexaholics, some smoke too much, some do drugs too much. And it's the way the society is and is functioning now. And there are so many people who have mental disorders and mental illnesses who literally are functioning, are functioning. Like myself, for example. Um, there are doctors, there are lawyers. Um, anybody interested could just get on the Internet and look up the subject of mental disorder or mental illness and find out there are thousands of web links and websites you can go to that can give you information as to whether or not your child may be suffering from this type of illness, whether you may be suffering from this type of illness, what can be done, um, disbanding stereotypes. And, and so that's why tonight was one of the reasons I wanted to re-enter this subject. You guys know, and maybe some of those who are listening know that I have been on the radio to talk about uh, my book about abortion mm -hmm. several times. Um, but I've never opened up my, this side of myself to you or to anybody, for that matter, in, a pub, in public. Right, right. So, um, you know, and the answer to your question is, yeah, they, they didn't know what was going on. They couldn't figure out my behavior. Um, my, my parents were befuddled. You know, my father was a pretty intelligent man, but he was totally perplexed because he didn't understand himself what was going on because it had been under, had had, this type of illness was such a hush-hush. And then when he saw me um, and how provocatively I was dressed, and when you see the young ladies today dressed provocatively, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this is, a, this is a generation crying out for help. Right. This is a generation saying we need we need help we need you know somebody to um, pay attention to us let us know let us know that we are loved you know help us through help us learn how to read you know help us to come off of drugs and alcohol care about us you know at the age of thirteen you know I'm smoke you know he, he's smoking at thirteen she's taking drugs at fourteen and you know there's somebody else pregnant at now or as early as maybe 10, you know? Yeah, sure. We're going to take a, a, a one-minute break. Brian is going to take us to a break, and when we come back, I have a question for you. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Justin, Sarah. Hi, Ricky. Hi. Hey, listen, I just heard about some kids who might try to get some beer. So? Why are you telling us? Yeah. Well, because I thought maybe we could go and, you know, drink. Why? Um, because... I guess because it's cool. Cool? Why is it cool? Well, you know, we can go and get wasted. And why would we want to get wasted? Well, remember that time when we heard some older kids talking about doing it? So, why should we do it? Well, I guess... I guess I don't know. Sooner or later, someone may ask you if you want to drink. If that ever happens to you, maybe there's something you should ask them. Like why? Because the fact is, most kids don't drink, even older kids. So think about it. There's no good reason to drink. Want to know more? Check out thecoolspot.org. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And tonight's topic is abortion, a life and death situation. We have on with us tonight best-selling author Cheryl Williams. Cheryl, 
I wanted yeah. to ask you about you said you were 19 years of age when um, your father found out that that you were you were active or whatever. But my my question is, how old were you when you were raped? Actually, I couldn't say that it was a full rape. It was more of a molestation than a rape because I was 13. I was 13, and I put myself, I, I got, I exposed myself to drugs and alcohol. I put myself in a compromising position, and I was too inebriated to say no. So it, it wasn't brutal. It wasn't hitting and violence. It was more of a molestation by a man who was about 18 or 19 years old at the time. Right. And and how old were you? I think you got pregnant from this man, from this, this incident. Right. And, right. Uh, so how old were you when you had the abortion? 14. 14. And the circumstances... Um, I don't want to give it away because I want people to buy the book, read the book, pass it on to somebody, a niece, a nephew, a granddaughter, a daughter, because these are current issues, and these are prevalent issues, and these are things that need to be brought to the forefront of our consciousness as Americans and people in the world who care about each other, who care about prosperity and what's going to happen to the future. Yes, because sure, this sure. generation is. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I, 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 you said something that that kind of jumped out at me when you you said that you were 13 years old. That's right. And you said that the rape it wasn't a brutal thing. It wasn't a really physical fight fight type of thing. And you said you kind of put yourself in a position, kind of wanted to do it, but then again, you probably kind of didn't. But exactly. What, what, but, but what I'm looking at is this man was 18 years older than you, and you well, were only was, 13. He was you, uh, he was five years older than I was. Okay, so he was just five years older. Five, mm-hmm. Okay, five years older. That's 18. You're right. talking about an 18-year-old dealing with a 13-year-old. Right. Do do you think that in in your 13-year-old mind at the time that you were curious about what was going on, but you didn't want it to go that far. That's exactly what happened. Right. That's exactly what happened. Right. And it sounds it sounds like you you're taking um on some of the guilt of what happened. You know, that's always part of the problem and it's also what causes the isolation because if you close yourself off and emotionally, and don't let your emotions flow freely and don't open yourself up for help and for conversation and for healing, you will have an overload, and that's what happened to me. There are people who have mental illnesses who are living with mental illnesses who have not, um, where they have not manifested yet. And oftentimes, and when, in fact, what my doctor told me was that it was because of the fact that I had started drugs and alcohol, that's what the problem was. That's what caused the outbreak, so to speak. 
and um, it, it threw my chemicals out of whack. That's what caused the outbreak. It threw my chemicals out. Dealing with this emotion of having been in sexual compromising positions that I didn't want to be in because I was too young. I feel I was too young. I was too young to be experiencing those things, um, too young to be taking on that type of behavior. I wasn't even out of school. I was still a baby. And when you, when a child has to deal with adult things, there's always going to be a problem. Yes, that's so true. I, I, I agree with you on that. And, Cheryl, I'm going to ask you a question. Are sure. you still dealing with this now after all these years? You know, I have come to the point where I, I've reconciled with it. Um, I'm in treatment, as a, which is going to be an ongoing thing, and my treatment is my lifeline. And my, I love my doctors, literally. I love my doctors because and my, um, my, the staff that works with me because they are patient with me. They are honest with me. Um, they care about me. And when they say to me, uh, for example, I have a tendency by doing the book and doing so many different other things, you know, my doctor will say to me, just, you know, just be careful, Miss Williams, and don't overload yourself. You know, just be careful. Don't take on too many projects. Don't take too many things on. And so... I hope that you know. I hope that answers, you know, what your question. Yes. Well, I, I, it it sounds like in your voice to me, and I may be wrong, but it sounds like in your voice to me that this thing is still weighing heavy on you. And I know it will weigh heavy on any woman, any any person. Please don't 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 take what I'm saying the wrong way. But it just seems like you're still going through or just beginning a serious healing process. Well, I think the healing process has already begun, but I think it's going to be a lifelong event. I think it's going to be, it's going to take, it's something that you always remember. You never remember, you never forget abortion until the day you die. And then you are reminded of it afterwards because I believe in the the afterworld. And I do believe I'm forgiven, and I don't want to go too uh, far as as far as that subject is, but I do believe I'm forgiven. I do believe in the afterworld, but it's a subject that never leaves you the rest of your life. And many the examples that I've given in the books and when the ones that I've chosen um, to put in the book, you will see, or anybody who reads them will see that each and every woman, we all, or man for that matter, all have in common that it weighs heavy on your heart and on your mind because you have to think you have to. I know young women, a story that I didn't choose to put in the book was a young woman who has had 10 abortions, 10 abortions. This woman is about 47 years old, and she has had 10 abortions. Can you imagine each time laying in those cold stirrups, and I'm going to be real with you, laying in those cold stirrups with with that vacuum-like machines sucking a fetus outside of your womb, that messes with your mind. Whether you, I don't care how sound you are, I don't care what, what your occupation is, you know, I don't care your intelligence level, your race, your creed, your religion, that messes with your mind. 
and it causes you to really rethink life, and it causes you to think about what life means, what and 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 what it, what death means in the sense that you know you are causing a death, and whether whether you want to admit it or not, whether you take the morning after pill, or whether you have a, a abortion in the first trimester, or whether you choose to have an abortion and the third trimester, and there's still some that are going on these days in the third trimester, you are taking a life, and that never leaves you. That is something that will haunt you the rest of your life. Now, as far as making peace and reconciling with it, you can reconcile with it, but only to a point. You know, I still sometimes get disturbed when I think about it. But the point is that, you know, when you when you believe that everything um under the circumstances, my circumstances were different. It wasn't like I um, purposely jumped out there and said, I'm going to have an abortion. You know, as you as you know, you guys know from reading the book, it was a different, slightly different circumstance with me. But there are examples in the book that talk about different women who chose that route and how it affected them emotionally and how it affects you until the day that you leave this earth and beyond, I believe. You know, Ms. Williams, one of the things that I wanted to also talk about was the emotional, from the emotional standpoint of you having to deal with, mm-hmm. you know, things happening in your life, you know, as a child and, you know, not having that that safety zone of parents who you could go to and talk to because, again, you said your parents were older and so they really didn't, you know, they got other people to kind of talk to you about certain issues. Right. And, you know, nowadays we have sort of a different situation. We have parents that are very young, mm-hmm. and typically our, our parents are getting younger and younger. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what do you do that when you don't have someone you can talk to because, you know, maybe that parent is too young to even know what to say? Yeah. You know, you know what you do? You overload. That's what you do. You overload. And that's why I really firmly believe that a lot of children in today's society are so wild. They are just, you hate to say lawless because that's not always applicable, but they are so um, into adult, quote-unquote, unquote, adult things an adult quote unquote lifestyle mm-hmm. and it is too much for them to handle. And you see an overload, you see an overload of whether it be a Columbine incident or whether it be an incident where you see a child having a baby, putting the baby in a dumpster. You know, it, it mm-hmm. you see these situations where young people are being date raped with using date rape drugs. You know, there's a gamut of, of, of really sick things that are happening in our society, you know, that we're going to have to address sooner or later, and the sooner the better, because these kids are overloading, and that's exactly what's happening. And I know from a personal experience, because that's what happened to me. And as intelligent as I was or is or whatever, you know, as, as sensible as I am, as well I was as I was raised, you know, it wasn't that my parents were bad parents. They were wonderful parents. You know, they were wholesome, and we went to church, and, you know, but 
with all the positive things that were attributed to to me growing up, that were attributed to my growth as I grew up, there were some negative things that got through, and those were the things that caused me to overload. And because of the illness, because of the symptoms of the illness, um, that just made it all the all the more worse. And I'm really just the reason I mentioned this particular subject to you. Really, my sister um, and I were talking about it a couple of days ago before we talked about doing this part of the aspect of the show. And it is so prevalent. You can see it in today's society. It is so prevalent in today's society. Our children are hurting. You know, they are hurting. They are crying out for help. They are saying, we need your love. We need your understanding. You know, a lot of times the children are being raised by parents who are on drugs, the parents who come from a generation that, you know, that we may have come from who still have some of those same problems. And they're masking their problems with drugs and alcohol. And so the children see that kind of behavior exhibited, and children don't learn from what you say. They learn from what you do. And so they, this is a learned behavior, and it happens, it's repetitive over and over again throughout the generations, whether it's a welfare generation repeating itself or whether it's a drug generation repeating itself. You know, and, and this is the state of the world that we're in now, and the children are hurting, and it is a painful hurt that you never forget, and it's, and it's a deep emotional, heartfelt pain that you just never forget. And we all are saying to ourselves, what is wrong with the kids in society? And we're not turning inward and saying, what is wrong with me, and how can I help myself and my household? And that way, in addition to doing that, I can reach out some way to in the church or if you if you if you're not in a church in some kind of community effort to help these children so that we can help posterity move on in a forward way as opposed to um a, it's a disaster now and that's that's not an exaggeration uh, exaggeration it is a disaster now if you just look at the news and you look at the the videos on TV and um, you know, the, the the rap music. And I love rap music because I love all types of music. But, you know, there are different, you know, they look at some of the hard rock music and some even country songs. You know, there's, it's in every every part of life and every person. You know, there there's um, people are hurting, people are crying out for help, people are saying, you know, what, you know, what happened to the wholesome lifestyle that we that we're supposed to? To be promised, you know. Yeah, what sure. Let me ask you this. Sure, let me ask you a question. You know, back in the day when we were growing up, there were people on drugs. Now, in today's society, it's like we have so many people now that are hooked on medication. Mhm. Mhm. And a lot of times, the parents that are going through things that are suffering themselves. This medication that they're on is not allowing them to fully function as responsible parents. And and they are missing some things that if they weren't on this medication, they would pick up on it. They see their daughter in a certain mood or going through, you know, you, you know mood swings. You know that there's something going on with your child. But when you're taking this medication and you can't pick up on that, well, that, that, be, that thing. 
I'll be honest with you. I really feel like that's a treatment issue mm-hmm. because you, I have a network of people surrounding me that care about me, that I care about, that if I stumble on a on a rock, they're going to say, oh, you know, they're going to be there to catch me. It's a, That's a treatment issue. Um, a person who is addicted to prescription drugs has a doctor prescribing those drugs who's doing so illegally. You get my point? Yes, I do. And a person who is so drugged out that they can't see what's happening in their life and that they can't function, that's a treatment issue. That has something to do with where they're being treated, the facilities that they're being treated at, because somebody is not catching that, because it is illegal, because you can only get a prescription in most states once every 30 days. That's the law. And 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 many times, it's particularly if it's an addictive drug, it's not even that. It's not even that often. And people who are zonked out on prescription drugs and using them just like they're using other drugs, most of the time are obtaining them illegally off the streets, and also illegally through bad, you know, through quacks and through quacks and bad, um, you know, bad treatment. And I'm not saying that's happening. At every place you go to, like I mentioned, there's some great facilities who care about you. But I'm saying that it, you're right; it is happening, and it's it's a social ill in in society, and it's another area that we're going to have to arrest by policing it. You know, and they're trying to police it to the point where they have social workers that they are uh, assigned to families, so that um, these kinds of things don't happen. But but they so we. Things, you know, things do happen, and people slip through the system. You know, just a, here in the news, not uh, here in, a, in where I live in Baltimore, was just uh, a situation with um, where a, a young baby, I think the baby was maybe less than one years old when a mom had killed the baby. And the um, social worker was saying, I had been there X amount of time and couldn't, you know, couldn't get through. There are some breaches and some breaks and some, cracks in the system, and we just need to work on that. You know, and this is why you hear me, and people, and I always mention this very same subject every time you guys talk to me, and I always say, people wonder why I put myself out here like this, because mm-hmm. I'm wide open. Why I put myself out here like this is because I genuinely care and because I know what it feels like to be in those cold stirrups and because I know what it feels like not to be in control of your faculties and to try to mask it and, and, and drink it away. And, and I know what it feels like to when people, when you're isolated and you, you can't make friends and when you're bullied. I mean, these are issues that are just prevalent in society. And this is why I'm bringing them to the forefront, because they're happening in society. And people, you know, and the listeners out there, you know, I'd love for people to call in and just let me know what they think, because I want to know, you know, I want people to know that I care. That's why I wrote some reasons why kids gone by. And here's an announcement for you guys. I'm getting ready to, I'm in the process of writing another book. It's called, um, I have, well, I have, haven't thought of exactly the title, but it's going to be along these same lines. Different lifestyles, it's going to be the same thing, same pattern, different lifestyles of people who have gone through different troubles in their life, whether it's drugs or alcohol. And, um, so this is why, because I care. Wow. 
Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about solutions. Cool. All right, we'll be right back with the Abundant Solutions Hour. Hello, my name is Deborah Akbar, and I've lived the last 18 years as a C7, C8 quadriplegic as a result of a very bad car accident that happened in 1990. But today that's about to change because I have found the Brucker Biofeedback Treatment started by Dr. Bernard S. Brucker at the Miami Jewish Home and Hospital. Now, unfortunately, even though he's had a 98% success rate, this procedure is not performed anywhere in Ohio nor is it covered by insurance. So I'm raising money so that myself and my family can get down to Miami to have this much needed procedure so that I can possibly walk again. If you would like to send a donation, please send it to Deborah Akbar Treatment Fund, Post Office Box 210034, South Euclid, Ohio, 44121-7034. Thank you. All right, yes. you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we're back with Cheryl Williams. Been on the show a couple of times, and she's—I tell you what—she is laying it all out on the line. I think Brian may have had another question for you, Cheryl. Brian, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Yeah, okay. my question was on the lines of solutions. You know, on this show, we try to, you know, present the problem. And then we try to also offer a solution to, you know, to in, a, in effect, bring that problem to resolution. So, Ms. Williams, what would be one of the ways, because I already know myself one of the ways we can stop this issue of abortion. But what, in your opinion, would be one of the ways? We need to be real with our kids, and that's the bottom line. Because any person who sits, uh, and I hope I'm not making anybody mad, but this is probably going to ruffle some feathers. But any person who sits in their home and looks at television, sees and sees what goes on in the world, and think my child is not going to be affected by that, is sadly disillusioned. Because your child is now, ha- young. let me give you just a few examples. At the age of young particularly black American young girls, are now getting their menstrual cycle as early as eight years old. That means that they can get pregnant at eight years old. The average child at age 13 has already tried some drug or some alcohol or knows somebody who has. These are prevalent issues in society. And the problem is that the parents are... Disillusion. They think that their children that their children are not going to be affected. Oh, I live in the county. Oh, I, I'm, a, I'm I've a, achieved middle class status. Oh, I've achieved upper class status. I live in a better neighborhood, quote unquote, better neighborhood. This is not going to happen to my child. I shelter my child from this. My child is too young. You know, these are all falsehoods. Children nowadays are being exposed to the world at a faster rate, and it's all the more faster as time goes on. And we need to open our eyes and say to ourselves, wait a minute, 
do you think my, you know, do you think Johnny actually could, you know, speak to your husband and wife? Do you think Johnny actually could have, um, could be smoking an experiment with marijuana at 12, 13 years old? Yes, Johnny could. You know what I'm saying? So people, we need to, I think the number one solution would be talk to your children wide open. Don't talk at them. Don't yell at them. Talk to them and say to them, just by statistics, I know this is going on in school. Is it happening with you? Don't be afraid. Maintain those open lines of communication. Because part of my problem was that it wasn't that my parents didn't love me. It was that I wasn't communicating with them, and they were not able to communicate with me. So wide open communication. You have got to talk to your children. You have got to get in there. And when I say early, I mean as early as as soon as they are able to, as soon as they hit elementary school, kids are bringing guns to school in elementary school. I mean, what kind of, we need a wake-up call. What kind of person whose reasoning says to them, this is not going to happen to my child because I live in an upper-class neighborhood? That's somebody who's delusion, and somebody who probably is delusional. And, and, I'm, and I'm being real about it. We need to talk to our children as they grow up. Let them know that these dangers are out there, and if no age is too young to talk to your child about drugs and alcohol, because the next thing you know... Or sex. Or sex, because the next thing you know, somebody will be offering them a pill, offering them a smoke, handing them a condom. See what I'm saying? So you need to be in control of your household. You know, you need to be in control of your household, and Charlie starts at home and spreads abroad. You know, if if you have control or at least some semblance of control in your own household, your child is going to go to to his friend or her friend and say, no, man, I, I don't think I'll try it. You know, my dad and I talked about it. I, you know, I think I'll pass. That's going to have an influence on the next child. See what I'm saying? And a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And we are a chain as a nation, as a people. You know, and when I say as a people, I mean, I don't mean black on black because that's cool. I mean, as human beings, we are a chain of people, and we're only as strong as the weakest link. And so everybody has got to do their part. You know, and if there's some, if you're somebody, is, is, if your father is not in the household with them, you know, get a mentor. We need mentors, big brothers and big sisters in almost every state. You know, if, if, you're, if your child um, is, is um, having problems, sexual issues or whatever, have programs in school to talk about it and not just sugarcoat the whole incident with well, a, sure, let a me, funny cartoon. Sure, let me know? say this. Let me. I have a question for you. Okay. It's more of a question comment. We see so much in society now where the help is for the little boys to deal with their issues. But where are the support groups that are helping the little girls that are dealing with being raped and molested? Social services usually deals with that in so many states, but we need more funding. And I'm praying that when the president, the new president comes into office, that these are some of the things that will be considered. Because a lot of times these are the things that get put on the back burner. We put education in the forefront, which is wonderful because we need education. You know, and we put the different things like No Child Left Behind and different ones. But what about the nitty-gritty of it all? What about paying the teacher more money so that she can um, afford to 
stay in the school system so the good teachers can afford to stay in the school system? And what about hiring more um, security guards in the school system to protect our children? And what about having, when I was younger, what about having a social worker directly in the cl- in the school, in every school, you know, a paid social worker so that the children can come to the social worker with these issues? Nurses, you know, we think that um, these things are already in every school, and that's not necessarily the truth because these are the programs that have been cut. And even though they're saying they're putting education on the forefront, these are the problems that we're having in school, and the reason we're having these problems is because some of these programs have been pulled. What about music classes where children can have an outlet? If they, a lot of children are into music. If they were, I'm talking about the inner city classes because some of this is these things are many of these are still in the county. What about the inner city classes with schools and classes where we can put music back in, put different any anything that is mind opening to a child. Take you know take the child on certain trips to the movies, to different places to expose museum and stuff. These things, these funds have been cut in the inner city, and that's why we're having problems in the inner city because these kids are feeling they don't care about us. I mean, these kids are not dumb. They can see that these programs have been cut, and they're saying to themselves whether it's on a, what, whether it's on the forefront of their consciousness or whether it's deep in their consciousness, they're saying to themselves they don't care about us. I mean, look what they're doing. They're taking all our funds. You know, they're taking our books. The, the kids barely have decent books. You know, sure. Let me, why we having these problems? Let me let me play devil's advocate just a little bit here. You know, whatever happened to personal responsibility? Because you know, I'm an advocate for children. I love children. I work with children. I talk to children on probably a day to day basis. I have children, and the one thing that that most people don't really discuss is the personal responsibility of those parents who, you know, birthed these children into the world, and now they're leaving these children up, you know, they're leaving it up to the world to raise their children, to take care of their children. And, you know, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I'm not, I'm not against any social program if it's going to benefit the child. But a lot of these social programs are not necessarily benefiting the children. They're benefiting the people who write those grants and get those large amounts of dollars, and the children don't really see any true added benefit. Now, I'm not saying that it happens in every case, but more often than not, and that's part of the reason why a lot of these programs get cut, because they are top-heavy and that they see that, that, you know, for the most part, these programs aren't really helping the kids. I think we have to start looking at programs, if we're going to have programs, that really show true benefits, something that's going to teach a child more than just saying, okay, look, don't have an abortion, or hey, look, keep your legs closed, but also teaching them ways that they can have alternatives to doing that. Instead of saying, okay, look, this whole class is going to be about uh, not having sex until you're married, which I actually teach an abstinence class like that to teenagers. But I have to get real with them because the teenagers come in there and say, oh, you're going to talk about that? Oh, you're too late, player. Right. You know, and so I have to get real and I have to teach them the financial part of it. I have to teach them that while they know so much about sex that they think they know, they don't know a whole lot about life, which they need to know. I agree with you 100%. And so a lot of it has to do with, 
you know, in my opinion, personal responsibility. These parents, they're not too, you know, they're not too far gone to where they can't go and get an abstinence course again as well. If you, you know, and and they laugh and you say, "Why do I need abstinence course? I ain't abstinent. I ain't gonna be abstinent no more." Well, yeah, maybe you need to learn it so you can teach your child. Exactly. You know, I agree with you a hundred percent. I agree with you a hundred percent. Or maybe the child next door who's afraid to talk to their parents because their parents, you know, don't even fathom the idea of them having sex and telling them, "If you have sex, I'm gonna break your legs off, or right. I'm gonna break your thing off." Right. You know, and so they're afraid, but they know that maybe Miss Jenkins down the street knows about sex education, and they're not afraid to talk to her. See, we have to, you know, if if we're waiting on the next president to help us with our children, we, we've been waiting on that for, you know, ever since the first president said he was going to do it, you well, know? I say bring the old school back. Right, what I but mean see, by that. You know what I, you probably know what I mean by that. Yeah. But you cuz you touched on it. But it was what I was saying about every chain being as strong as its weakest link. Mm-hmm. You know, we have got to start caring about our neighbors again. Exactly. We have got to When I was younger, I was isolated, but you know what? If I sat on that step and my mother told me to sit on that step and I moved, my next door neighbors on both sides, plus Miss Dickens down the block and Miss Jones down the other end, Somebody was there to say, if you move off that step, you see what I'm saying? Right. And you're right. That's why. And then the parent didn't have a problem with it if they had to tighten you up. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. And nowadays, I mean, you look at somebody's child wrong, and they're gonna beat you down and file a lawsuit against you. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> Cheryl, Cheryl, we have about two minutes left in the show. If you would, please give out your information, uh, your contact information, your email address, and also uh, tell tell the listeners how they can get your book. Okay, thank you for listening, everybody. And I hope this has been as heartfelt to you as it is to me. Um, I, Brian and Greg said earlier they could hear it in my voice, and that is because this is a heartfelt issue with me. Please, buy the book and pass it on. That's all I ask. It's called Some Reasons Why Kids Gone By. You can get it through Greg and Brian at the Abundant Solutions Hour, or please call 410 410- Five four two oh one five six four one oh five four two oh one five six and call or call or contact my post office box PO box six five one five seven Baltimore Maryland two one two oh nine. Um again it's called Some Reasons Why Kids Gone By and you can contact my post office box, 65157, Baltimore, Maryland, 21209. Thank you, and I hope that you will. I mean, think about this because it's an issue that we all should read up on and become more aware of, and pass it on is what I ask. Yes, yes. I knew that it was going to be... Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Greg. Yes, I knew it was going to be a tough show. I knew that some old wounds, Cheryl, that you thought maybe were were, were healed, uh, they, I think they reopened. But I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that you are going through counseling because you're going to make it. Oh, yeah. And, and, and our prayers are with you and your family. 
Thank you and, so much, gentlemen. Yes. And thank everyone for listening in tonight. Please join us Friday night, 9 p.m., the Abundant Solutions Hour. God bless. Blog Talk Radio.